What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Blood Moon Paranormal Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Wenzel, lead investigator of the Blood Moon crew. And in this episode, we're going to be covering the top 13 most haunted places in Illinois. Now, some of these places we've been to before, and some of them we haven't. And that kind of did direct my list a little bit that I've created here. But uh, we're just going to do it anyways. And with me today is Emily. Hello, hello. So she's going to supply some commentary with us on this episode uh comment on some of the haunted locations that i added to the list and uh yeah this is a list that i compiled myself none of the locations are in chicago i decided i wanted to keep that for a separate episode instead of keeping it in this episode so yeah top 13 haunted places in illinois let's get to it So at number 13, we have Manantino Asylum. This is in Manantino, Illinois. So this is a little bit south of where I live. Um, and I've been here before with Jake around when we first started, but we just kind of, it was more like urbexing. We didn't really investigate too much, but we did experience a little bit here. In 1927, the state of Illinois purchased over 1,000 acres of land for a massive mental health complex. And in December of 1930, Manantino officially opened with its first 100 patients transferring in from Kankakee State Hospital. The facility grew and in 1936 an additional 200 acres was purchased and the program was so large it was actually self-sustaining. There was a farming complex, a police force, a fire department, utility service, administration complex, restaurants, and miles of paved roads. Got anything to say about that? I'm just trying to read along right now. Fair enough. Amazingly enough, Manantino was funded and established in the midst of the Great Depression. The early days, they were a little short-staffed, as many asylums were during that time, and that was also because of World War II. World War II took a lot of nurses away and brought them to war, so they were short-staffed during that time as well. During that time, it was so bad that it actually became a concern, and they were actually hiring high school dropouts as nurses. Oh, so geez. you imagine like you just drop out of high school <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, you're going to be a nurse and you have no clue like, like you at all. You don't even want to be a nurse. They're just like, no, nope, nope, you're being a nurse. You're going to be on. a nurse. You're going to come help out with this. See, like already, like no offense to the practicing phlebotomists out there. Like I love you all to death because I'm friends with one, but still like I'm even iffy on practicing phlebotomists and all that, like taking my blood and all that. Just imagine having a high like. Also, nothing wrong with dropping out of high school as well, but just imagine, like, someone that didn't want to be a nurse, someone that doesn't know what they're doing, and they're just kind of forced to do this. Just stab Well, here's the, the, here's the thing. Even on, like, even during this research that I was I was doing here and looking at this, uh, this research that our researcher did, it said that at one point, out of 120 nurses on staff, only 16 had actual nurse training. Yikes. Like, that, I, I don't feel comfortable <laughs> with that. No, no, I know. Some trained nurses are already sketchy enough. Catch them on a bad day, and you're you're gonna be losing a lot of blood. In 1934, the health budget was suddenly cut by 29%. Despite this, Manantino State Hospital watched its occupancy more than double over the next two years. And in 1936, shock therapy was introduced, and a year later, Manantino added tuberculosis sanitarium. The first disaster for Manantino was a typhoid fever ep epidemic 
which lasted from July and until December of 1939, and resulted in an estimate of 60 deaths on the property. Jesus. You said, what? Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, that's not a lot compared to the some of the places we've we've been to. I feel like that's, like, not a ridiculous amount, but, I mean, it's still a lot. No. It's that's... not COVID numbers. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Jeez. As funding of the hospital grew over the years, so did the number of patients. And at its peak, Manantino was one of the largest facilities of its kind in the world. Over 10,500 meals were served on a daily basis. The, the facility power plant generated over 2,500 kilowatts of power, and up to 225 tons of coal were required to run all operations each day. The laundry facility opened in 1966 and was one of the largest in the world, proceeding over 115 tons of laundry each week. Stories of patients attacking nurses would surface. Patient abuse seemed to be persistent. There were allegations of the U.S. military conducting secret medical testing at Manantino during World War II. Patients would unknowingly be injected with malaria in an attempt by the military to find a remedy for their illness. In 1941 alone, 462 patients would die from this experimentation. Another 198 escaped from the facility. And decades later, it was revealed that in the 1950s, the hospital had been conducting experimental surgeries on patients without consent. A former employee shared a story about a frustrated farmer who owned a cornfield bordering the hospital. He decided to sell his property because every year during harvest season he would find bodies of deceased patients who had gotten lost in his cornfields. Yummy, yummy. That's that's a lot. I I didn't know about the experimentations until reading this. Okay, well one, it's the experimentations, and then also the, how you just said the cornfields thing, like just just bodies, just deceased patients that got lost they're just chilling by 1983 governor jim thompson decided it was finally time to shut down the hospital after 55 years of operation manatino's mental health center closed its doors in december of 1985 it remained abandoned for years and years and years and separate buildings were bought off um auctioned off and whatnot and they were turned into other facilities, but mostly just sat abandoned for years. Mm -hmm. I remember me and Jake, um, when we first started ghost hunting, this was one of the places that we went to, and it was just me and him. We just kind of like snuck in one of the buildings and it's just so creepy in there. Um, it's, it's just really creepy. Like there's this one picture uh, that I took and my mom's in it and it looks like there's an orb, mm -hmm. but I mean, I don't really believe in orbs anymore. I was so, gonna like, say, I know you're. you're I mean, now if that. I look at it, it's kind of be kind of weird. But mm -hmm. there's lots of reports of shadow figures, apparitions. Uh, people say they hear screams from the inside of the buildings on the outside. Ooh. When I went back there to that same building to try to record a documentary, that's probably never gonna happen. Um, I went inside the building and. I like went into the courtyard area of one of the one of the the H hall buildings. I don't know what it was, but it was like a creature. It was like an animal, and it like chased me out. Mm. But like didn't pass the door once I exited the doors. Mm -hmm. But it like Stop. obviously possums don't attack you. It wasn't a raccoon because it was bigger than a raccoon, and it it was like flesh colored. So, like, that was super freaky. Now, I'm not saying it was, like, a ghost, because no. I, it was big, though. It was, like, the size of a dog. Mm -hmm. Like, a medium-sized dog. Mutant dog. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's one of the experiments there. Was, was oh, God. That. Yeah. It's, most of it's torn down now or tor turned into other businesses. So, I wouldn't recommend going there, because um, you're not going to 
you're not going to get into anything. But uh, anyways, let's move on to our next, our next one. At number 12, we have the Rialto Square Theater in Joliet, Illinois. And this one is one that's a little close to home. And, you know, Emily's gone past a couple times. <laughs> I've gone past it a lot. Let's get into the history. The theater began its life as a movie palace in 1926 when the six Rubin brothers formed the Royal Theater Company. This building cost nearly $2 million to build, and after two years of construction, the theater opened on May 24th, 1926. Not much goes into the history of this theater other than just like, you know, a lot of famous acts have gone here. I've been here, I think, like three or four times and have seen like really good shows here. A couple that actually fell off one of the top banisters of the theater, the main theater area, and they died. So they got two spirits right there that are haunting the top banisters. Uh, they say there's a spirit of a little boy who also haunts the building. Uh, they don't know how he got there. And they often see a woman who used to be an actress, they believe, that performed there years ago. These things have been seen by staff, customers, uh, workmen, uh, like actors, actresses, everyone. Like everyone is claimed to see spirits here. Mm -hmm. And most specifically those four that I mentioned, you know, they often see hazy lights. They hear app, like they see apparitions. They'll hear EVPs. They'll hear like voices. Uh, they often hear the little boy laughing occasionally. So it's pretty like, um, specific hauntings that happen here. Ghost Hunters has gone here before Ooh. the show Ghost Hunters. So that episode's really good actually. And it's still an operating theater today. Um, I don't know if they're doing shows right now just because of COVID, but, um, yeah, it's still in operation. I know they just filmed something there recently, mm -hmm. so I don't know what show they filmed there, but they did have film trucks out there. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, this is why this is at number 12, because it's very active, but they don't do ghost tours and they don't do stuff like that. So I just put it at number 12. Moving on to number 11 is Oxaple Cemetery. And this is a place that Emily's been to uh, more than I have, actually. She's been here twice. Three times. Three times. So yeah, Oxaple is an old cemetery in, what is it? Uh, Minooka. It's mm. in Minooka, yeah. Illinois. This graveyard is said to be haunted by a young female who likes to play tricks on visitors. Uh, mystery fires and mist have been reported as well. Apparently, there's a tunnel under the caretaker's building that has been talked about among visitors for years. At the end of Route 6 stands a satanic ritual path, once a hunting ground for the Patamotomy tribe, uh, Native Americans. The graveyard consists of stones from the 1800s, and there is talks that it used to be a Native American burial ground for the Patamotomy as well. Yeah, this one is, is um, you know, pretty basic. It's, it's a cemetery. It's got some history to it. Um, like I said, dating back to the 1800s. It is so weird there. It has such a weird feeling. You feel so disconnected from reality when you're there. It, it feels like one of those, it's kind of like Silent Hill aspect where you pass through kind of like that, like that veil and then you're in like a whole different world. Um, no, I love this place a lot. I love the stories behind it with the little girl, how you, they usually say you have to play like tag with her or something like that before you leave because she won't let you turn your car on or anything like that because she doesn't want you to leave. I had that experience there when I went with uh, my friend Dana. I had a Tupperware container in the back of my car, in my trunk, and it, you know, it was sealed up because it had something in there that needed to be. We went and we did our thing, you know, um, we interacted as like nice as possible blah 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 we went to 
Taco Bell afterwards and I went in my trunk and I noticed that the container was lid was taken off and flipped completely upside down, laid perfectly on top and nobody went in my trunk and I put it in there right before we left to go to the cemetery. So, but yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. So, so yeah, that's um Oxable Cemetery. Oxable is absolutely awesome. I definitely recommend checking it out. Although it does say no trespassing, just, you know, be aware of your surroundings and make sure that there's no one that's like pointing a gun at you, I guess. So, <laughs> moving on to number 10 is Cheney Mansion in Jerseyville, Illinois. So this is all the way down south in Illinois. And we actually have an investigation scheduled here quite soon, actually, on the 24th, I think? Around there, yeah. So somewhere around there, we have an investigation scheduled here. So I'm really looking forward to that. I don't know who's all going to be on it. Right now, it's just me and Emily. So mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll see. So Cheney Mansion was built after the Civil War. And it was just a little red house. It was constructed in 1827 and was the first frame structure in Jersey County. The mansion served as a tavern, a stagecoach stop, a bank, a doctor's office. It was also utilized as a station for the Underground Railroad until the end of the Civil War and included a false cellar that was used to hide slaves from searching for freedom. Ooh. Throughout the years, they eventually added more and more and more and more onto the house. It was continuously growing and it just, it just got bigger and bigger as time went on. In 1997, the Cheney Mansion was eventually purchased and donated to Jersey County Historical Society. And that's actually who it's with right now. The Historical Society owns it, so they okay. completely renovated it and turned it into a museum, as well as the other buildings that are on the property. I think they have like a chapel, a barn, and stuff like that all throughout mm. there. So that's really cool. Okay. Now this place has a lot of hauntings and it has to do with a lot of the residents who stayed here. So on the second floor in the hallway, people reported that when alone in the mansion, when standing in the stairs or hallway or adjacent room, they will hear men and women conversating downstairs. In the children's room, the attic door will close on its own. Also a stuffed rabbit is sometimes moved and jack and balls are sometimes played with by the unseen. In Petey's room, it has been reported that the bed will levitate on its own, then drop to the floor at times and then move on its own. People have also reported what looks like an invisible person moving around in the bed and are hearing heavy breathing. And then they have a room called the trunk room. People have experienced the strong smell of vomit. Someone has reported the experience of being grasped tightly on their arm by an unseen hand, which held onto them for two or three minutes, and several other people have reported being lightly touched in various places. Miss Dorothy's room has a spirit of a small black girl who is reportedly living in the closet. A ball is sometimes played with if sat in front of the closet door. People also report experience a strong moving smell of of soap. Of soap? A strong moving smell of soap. Of soap? Like, okay, what are we talking about? Like lavender soap? Like, like just Irish, soap. Like Irish most... spring soap? Like... I don't know if Irish spring was a thing back then. I don't know. Just... I would just assume whatever was made soap. in that area, they would just have. Soap. On the main floor, you have the safe room and the doctor's office. There have been reports of a spirit of a man or a small boy living in the safe. People's hair is sometimes played with while they're just in the safe and at times can be tugged on quite hard. Sometimes they hear the sounds of a little girl singing to an unknown but familiar tune. Unknown but familiar tune? Yeah. Like, 
So like it doesn't say like. So like you don't you don't know. I know what so the it... tune is, but you you feel like you recognize it basically. That's kind of fucked up because that's that's spooky. There have also been reports of people also hearing a woman laughing in the same areas, and people will witness the rocking chair moving on its own. Ooh. In the basement, people often see a black moving mass. Oh gosh. It also has been common for females to be scratched on their back or neck. Hell yeah. Also, many females have been reported to have their hair being tousled, lifted, touched, and blown on by unseen forces. This is an area that has very high EMF ratings, so apparently EMF detectors go off a lot down there. And this is where people see unexplained mists inside the slave tunnels. Ooh. So that's so a, a lot of the activity that happens at Cheney Mansion. And yeah, we're going to be going there on April 24th. So I'm really looking forward to that one because I feel like it's been a bit since we've done like a mansion, like a big, big house. And it's just going to be a good time. So, yeah, that made number 10. I, I guess that could probably change after we go there. Moving on to number 9, we have Mineral Springs Hotel in Alton, Illinois. It was 1914 when August and Herman Lohr, German immigrant brothers, started building the hotel and discovered Mineral Springs underneath the hotel. The brothers believed that the springs were truly a cure for many illnesses. We're going to talk about some of the people who have died here and who apparently still haunt here. Mr. Lou Harwood allegedly shot himself in the hotel bar area only a few years after it opened, and he reportedly still haunts that area today. His obituary is hung to commemorate him in the hotel lobby. Then we have Pearl Sands. She died in one of her upstairs hotel rooms and her spirit energy remains to this day. Her obituary is also framed and hanged at the hotel. There's a man named Clarence who was a man from Granite City who was staying at the hotel and taking swimming lessons. One day he went down to the pool early and jumped into the shallow end and died. Cassie, or Cassandra, is a little girl who haunts the pool area as well. The story is that she drowned there, but there is no evidence of a young girl who ever drowned there. That's just what they think happened because, I mean, if you're in a pool area, what's... <laughs> what else is there? Yeah, especially well, for a little girl. Okay, like, what are you, gonna you do? can slip, fall, and crack your head open. Bam. And then roll into the pool and drown. All eats drowning. And then we have Charlie. Charlie is rumored to be a ghost that haunts the hotel bar. The story goes that he was struggling. He's a depressed artist who drank his sorrows away and rang up a bar tab he could not pay. In order to pay his tab, he agreed to paint a mural of Alton, but shot himself instead. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's the uh, <laughs> That's the Mineral Springs Hotel that's in Alton, Illinois. I've never been here before, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. And I've also heard people say that it's not haunted at all. But it's like mixed reviews. Like, you either experience something, like, absolutely awesome, or you experience nothing at all. Like, that's how I've, like, like people like talking about it. Moving on to number eight, we have the DeSoto House Hotel. The DeSoto House opened in 1855 and was known as the largest hotel in the West. The DeSoto was built to service the people arriving in Galena in the Mining and Trade Center. The hotel consisted of five stories and a lower level, 225 guest rooms, a gentleman's reading room, ladies parlor, a 300-seat dining room, a kitchen with equipment for feeding hundreds, and its own gas works for lighting halls, dining rooms, and public areas. In addition, retail stores, offices, a saloon, a bowling alley also found their home in the DeSoto house, 
uh, at some point, they just added all this stuff on to the hotel. I'm down with the bowling alley. The deaths that occurred here were pretty basic and standard for a hotel. Your basic suicides in the tub, jumping off the building to your deaths. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that happened as well as on December 7th, 1869, a steam boiler located in the dye works in the hotel's basement exploded and killed several people down there. Oh my. Yeah, so that was something big that happened. Um, it is still in operations today, and it is believed to be haunted by many spirits from when it opened to the Prohibition era. Moving on to number seven is Bachelor's Grove Cemetery. Now, everyone is going to kill me in the comment section and be like, <laughs> why is this not at number one? Because every list I see about haunted places in Illinois, Bachelor's Grove is at number one. And it frustrates me because I have never seen anything fantastic like you guys make it out to be at Bachelor's Grove. Granted, <laughs> yes, it's free to go to. It has some awesome history. It's beautiful looking. It is beautiful looking. Even just hiking through the woods through there is awesome. I don't think it deserves to be number one. But I did put it in the middle of the list at number seven. Bachelor's Grove is a cemetery that's in the middle of the woods that started in the early 1800s. It was a cemetery for years and years and years, and you could see how far back those dates go on those graves. Well, any that are left. In the 1970s, vandalism increased. They had grave robberies, satanic rituals, all throughout the 70s that started there because the cemetery became abandoned and was no longer being used. And with that, gravestones were constantly moved. It just wasn't kept up. So things were stolen, bodies were exhumed from there, and people would take stuff from the bodies like watches and, you know, family jewels and stuff like that. During the 1920s, though, forgot to mention this, they believed that the swamp out back was used as a dumping ground for mobsters, and they would just pull up and they just dump bodies into the, the, the swamp that's out back. Ew. And people swear, people swear on it that they've seen bodies floating in that water before. But this is the rumored site of the White Lady, or the Madonna of Bachelor's Grove, who according to legend was buried next to her child, whose apparition you could see holding the child nearby. There's also reports of a phantom dog that can be seen. They also say that there is a house that you see out in the middle of the woods. You look over, the house is there, you look away, you look back, the house is gone. What? They often report that. They also report strange orbs of light throughout the forest. People have reported plenty of like uh, videos and um, like pictures of this strange light that's out in the forest, but they can't track it down. I personally think it's cars. Yeah. Because the road is kind of close by, but I, I that's just my personal <clears throat> opinion. I could be wrong. Um, there's also reports of a old, old car that drives through. And what, then just that, disappears. That's like that road that right there that you Yeah, that down? road. Because that used to be our actual road that they used. Oh, to bring where the hearse goes and stuff Yeah, like that. It, it was an old town car they would see come through mm -hmm. and then just disappear. But we investigated here a couple of times, but I have never really caught anything super insane. It's only number seven because I feel like I'd get killed in the comments if I put it at number 13. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and the history is pretty good. Um, 
the reports are pretty good. Number six is the Pollock Hospital. Emily calls it the Pollock for some oh, reason. Fine, the po Pollock Hospital. The Pollock Hospital. The Pollock Hospital. Scratch all that here. Wait, right, right. The Pollock Hospital. <laughs> there. All right. So, anyways, we're not going to go in super in depth with this one just because we talked about the Pollock Hospital back. You just called it the Pollock Hospital. Yeah, because you're messing me up right now. We talked about the the Pollock Hospital in the um, in episode two of our podcast, Bartonville Insane Asylum. So if you want to learn even more about this hospital, uh, go to that episode after this episode. So just to talk about it a little bit, the Pollock was built in the grounds of the Peoria State Hospital in Bartonville in 1949 to serve the needs of patients at the asylum that were suffering from tuberculosis. The Pollock was actually named after the doctor that studied tuberculosis at the asylum uh, during that time so it was named after Dr. Pollock. So he was an inspiration to build this hospital and truly build it up to what it was and cure tuberculosis. It was separated by male and female ward and sometimes they would often you know cross the halls from each other yeah and there was one that was a naked old lady apparently. Oh, I remember, remember this. the naked old lady? Yes. Um, apparently a older woman would undress herself and then <laughs> run into the male ward and like mm -hmm. attack males and that's super interesting um well also well didn't they say that not a lot of like aggressive things happened here though like no with the, with no. the what what was it the zeller purple was it? yeah no no uh okay. dr zeller didn't believe in harsh treatment at this asylum so he, you know, he didn't do lobotomies, electroshock, but it goes more into that in the Bartonville episode. So go watch that. It's episode two of our podcast, and it talks about everything to do, awesome. do with the Pollock and Bartonville. Don't forget the video, our investigation video. Yeah, so you can check out our investigation um, at the Pollock Hospital. There's two of them, actually, um, on our YouTube channel. So check those out. We caught some crazy stuff. At least 64 patients died from TB while housed in that area. So, um, not a whole lot of people died in this building, but I do believe the building is kind of smaller itself. It's not one of the biggest buildings that were on property. Um, so I believe that those 64 patients just being crammed all in one and all the history that's been a part of this building mm -hmm. has really caused it to be just a massive surge of paranormal activity. So at number five, we have Evil Intentions Haunted House in Elgin, Illinois. This one, <laughs> I have no notes. There's no notes for this one. You don't so need notes. I don't need notes. I, I help with the ghost tours there so I get to a little, like, guide them through and tell a little bit about the history as we're guiding them through. So I got this. I'm not going to go into full uh, tour guide mode because I don't feel like it right now, but we're going to talk about the history a little bit. So the building was built in the 1890s in the industrial district of Elgin and it was originally built as the Western Thread Company and what they did there was they basically just made like fabrics. That's what they made. They had a bleaching room and everything and they, they just made fabrics there. That's all it was at first. Eventually in the 1900s it was bought by the Elgin Metal Casket Company where they made metal caskets. Through its history, it has experienced so much trauma and bad accidents that it's hard for it not to be haunted here. <laughs> um, one accident that occurred here was actually a cyanide spill that went straight into the river. And I believe they used that river for drinking water. 
It's gross. The that... water is already pretty gross. It does it's smell stinky. like fish right by the water. It's pretty bad. But on top of that, the cyanide spilled out of the factory. It's what they used to uh, dip the uh, metals in and stuff like that. And went down the street and into the water. It's funny enough that they actually had someone come in that spilled the cyanide. <laughs> came in, one of the workers, and they talked about the cyanide spill with um, <laughs> with the owners of the haunted house. So, moving on. <laughs> I love that. Right? Yeah, like, like, yeah, I may have spilled the cyanide. He's like, we had like a big like container of it. Like, it was just a huge container, and it just spilled. Like, <laughs> oops. Like, how do you let that happen? It, like, I feel like you just, you just don't. It's like the professor and the Powerpuff Girls with Chemical X. Oh, no, yeah. Oops, Chemical X and this <laughs> magical shit right here. Just break it open. Pours everywhere. Exactly. During the time of the Casket Factory's operation, they believed that there was a, um, a worker, also rumored to be a janitor, that would actually like kill people inside of the factory at night now there is no truth to this i i don't know for a fact um it's just been rumored from from locals and whatnot in the 1980s the factory was finally shut down and they moved it to indiana so the casket factory was completely abandoned from 1980 to i'd say about the 2000s and during that time, uh, there's there's a residential area right next to the factory. Those people who were living in those homes had reported that there was cloaked figures that actually went inside of the building, and they'd see an eerie like like candle glow from the windows. So they actually believed that there was satanic rituals that happened inside of the building, and I, I believe that I believe that some of the locals seem like they're they're pretty legit about their stories. So. I do believe that that actually happened. Um, Escape patients from the Elgin Mental Asylum? That's right, I almost forgot about that. Um, there's a mental asylum across the river from the casket factory, and they actually believe that there's a tunnel system that connects the casket factory <laughs> to the mental asylum. <laughs> you think so? Um, I don't know. I know, that's what they say. That's what they say, and they say that the... Um, because they, they used to bring caskets over to the mental asylum. Yeah. And that was the easiest way to bring it. And they would, like, put, like, three or four bodies inside of the casket, like, shove at a time. Like, just shove them in there. Because they were doing experiments at that mental asylum. And it's still open today. They also say that um, there has been escapees that have entered the Elgin Casket Factory. They say there's at least one escapee a year. Even now. Somewhere around 2008 to 2010, um, Mike Fitzpatrick bought the casket factory and actually turned it into a haunted house so um called evil intentions and right off the bat i guess he started experiencing some paranormal activity including this rose music box that you can actually see at the casket factory inside their um haunted museum he said that it just started playing by itself it was sitting in the middle of a room and just started playing by itself they they believe that there's three entities there three main entities one of them being a it's called the mimic ghost and they say that it actually mimics an apparition of other people that have been in the building so a lot of actors have reported this mm -hmm. yep, so i've seen it um 
fun thing is, this is how you can tell it's the mimic, is it doesn't talk. It'll look like your friend, it'll act like your friend. Usually stares a lot, just kind of, you know, kind of analyzing you. Yeah, this place, oh my god, this place is is pretty haunted. It's pretty intense, too. It's, like, yeah. the haunted house is crazy, and I think that adds to the energy of the um, activity that happens here. At number four, we have the McPike Mansion in Alton, Illinois. This house was built in 1869, and the original owner was Henry McPike. The McPike family owned 15 acres of property, and the family lived in the home until 1936. Through their years of living there, plenty of them died in the house, obviously. They didn't live through all that time. They obviously died in the house. So, they're known to be actually haunting the house, most of the McPike family. The house was later abandoned in the 1950s, but in 1994, Sharon and George Ludkit bought it at an auction. They've been restoring the house ever since. But that's, like, can you imagine how much damage is there? Like, from 1936 to 1950. Like, it just, like, well, even then, like, 1950 to 1994. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of, like, storm damage, deterioration, not being kept up at all. Like, Sharon and George both have seen spirits in the house. Tons of them. They've also done ghost tours here but they don't seem to do them too much anymore so the reason why this is number four and you're probably wondering because obviously i didn't tell a whole lot of specific history on it but this is at number four because of the level of activity that is here i've heard tons and tons of stories about this place the house is absolutely gorgeous but like the activity level here is just off the charts insane and if they do do ghost tours here, I definitely recommend checking this place out because it is a sight to see. So quickly moving on to number three, we have the Roth House. And I'm going to be honest with you, this wouldn't have been at number three if I haven't gone here. Because going here has ultimately changed my opinion about this place entirely. The Roth House is in Waseca, Illinois. Let's talk a little bit about the history. Mary Roth was born October 8, 1846, and was the daughter of Asa and Dorothy Roth. Mary Roth had a very bad case of epilepsy and would suffer fits of it like almost every day. And sometimes as she grew older, it would actually get worse and worse where she had it multiple times in a day. At some point due to her illness, she began to say that she could see spirits and she had clairvoyancy. Mary's epilepsy got so bad to the point that they actually needed to bring her to a hospital. The first hospital she went to, they actually couldn't diagnose what she had. They couldn't figure it out. So eventually they took her to Peoria State Hospital, which is the Pollock Hospital. They tried to cure her, and what they did is they did bloodletting, which is with leeches. They would use leeches to actually try to suck the toxins the toxins the bad stuff <laughs> they I would don't suck know. the toxins out of her and they also used uh like a water cure there as well one day um it just got so bad she would usually have like epileptic fits every day and then one day she just had one and she passed away at the age of 19. in Matseka, there is this little girl named mary lorenzi venom and they're completely unrelated to the Roth family. All of a sudden, Lorancy started to become 
have the same conditions almost as Mary. Pretty much the same conditions. She wouldn't refer to her mother and father the same anymore. She wouldn't call them mom, dad in her house. She kept saying that her name was Mary Roth. She kept telling her mom and dad that. Her mom and dad were like, what's going on here? Like, hmm. what, what's going on? You're, you're our daughter. You're Mary, but you're not Mary Roth. So they invited um, their neighbors over one day. And when they came in the door, L- Rancy looked over at the neighbor and said, Hello, Father. The neighbors were the Roth family. Here's the thing that even goes deeper with this, because it's one thing to be like, okay, hey, look, your daughter died. Now I'm going to take on a persona of her and look at you and call you father now. She knew family secrets that nobody else knew. She even knew things that, like, Mary didn't know. Like the fact that the Roths had a daughter that had passed before Mary Roth was even born. So she knew stuff like that. They had plenty of doctors come in there and try to figure out what was going on with her and they couldn't quite figure it out. One of them specifically being Dr. E. Winchester Stevens. When he was talking with Rancy, she drew a complete diagram of his entire house and she had never been to his house before. She drew it from the Venom family living room. That's pretty crazy. Like there's no way that would work. That's pretty impressive also. Even when she was asked like, like, who are you? She kept saying, I am Mary Roth. So she was taking on the persona of Mary Roth. And eventually the Venom family's like, okay, we'll just give you to the Roth family. And <laughs> I, when I heard that, I was like, what? Like, you they know just... that's your daughter. You just gave her up to another family because you believe your daughter's possessed by their daughter. So it's like, let me just hand you on over to them. Like, hand over our young child our young female child to our neighbors right that's what i mean like that's that's, that's what i mean oh so, we don't want it right now take it so she stayed with the raw family for a hundred days and then she went back to being rancy she was no longer mary roth she went back to normal lived to 90 years old in california yeah so like she she, she was fine after that and she's fine here's the thing is after all of that happened all of that possession stuff happened. Dr. E. Winchester Stevens decided to wrote, write a book about this called The Watseka Wonder. And it's known as America's first recorded possession. Our investigation there was awesome as well. Like, I can't say that it was the most intense investigation ever, but I felt like the spirits there were intelligent and they just wanted to talk with us. Like, casual conversation. Mm-hmm. That It was just so cool. Like... We caught some good stuff there, and I, I definitely recommend checking this place out, especially doing their uh, their uh, their dinner option. You have dinner there, because oh, so and breakfast. You get breakfast. Mm. Oh, so good. Bed breakfast. He sort the, of deal. the guy who cooks. The guy who, I can't remember his name. It's the guy the-, the guy who cooks is a chef from Italy, like five star chef. Makes the best pasta I've ever had in my life. Homemade. It's it's the husband of the owner. The they're both so fantastic. They're they're, they're wonderful. They're so I nice. Love them. Moving on to number two, we have the Joliet Prison. Whoop whoop. This is another one where I feel like people would assume that this is number one, but we'll, we'll get to number one. We're almost there. We're almost there. We're we're one more away. Can't look. Can't see it yet. Can't see. No, you can't see it. Yet. I won't let her see it. 
The Joliet Prison opened in 1858, operated until 2002. This prison held prisoners of war during the Civil War, and by 1872, it had more inmates than any other prison in the country. Conditions were bleak, the prison lacked running water until 1910. It held a lot of mobsters during its time, because this was the closest prison to Chicago during, during you know, the 1920s and whatnot. Babyface Nelson was here, uh, John Wayne Gacy was processed here. Uh, didn't stay here for so super long. Uh, he was eventually transferred to uh, Stateville Prison. There was riots in the 19 in 1975. There was a huge riot that broke out. It eventually closed down in 2002 because it was obsolete due to a new local prison called Statesville uh, Prison. And yeah, it just closed in 2002 and set there abandoned. It was used for filming locations for Prison Break and Blues Brothers. Mm -hmm. So it was a little restored for that, but other than that, it stayed abandoned for years. Like years and years and years. In 2017, a large fire damaged the mattress factory building in the prison. Wait, so there was a mattress factory in the prison? Yeah, because like they, they put the prisoners to work and they, they do that kind of stuff. So like it's a mattress factory. Like not but... not anything else, like not like food packaging or like like something super progressive. They'd put mattresses. I mean, I don't know. They didn't get those mattresses, I could tell you that. So, in from 2017 to 2018, the Joliet Museum really pushed to try to get the prison. Mm -hmm. And they succeeded. They got it from the state. Because the state of Illinois owned it, and Joliet really just wanted it. Because, like, it's a huge money-making thing. Yeah. I, I can't blame them. Like, they could do ghost tours, history tours, venue, and that's what they're doing. They're renovating it, and they're now offering tours. And I was actually a part of the first operation of renovation, uh, the first two days that they did it. That was super cool being in there. The cell block area is oh, so beautiful. It's not like crazy stacked super high like Missouri State, but uh, it's too stacked. But it's just, it's so cool and so like awesome to be in there. The solitary confinement building is really awesome. The laundry room. Is surprisingly really awesome the church is awesome the school is awesome and yeah I, the experience there just was absolutely awesome I, I loved every second of it I did a tour we walked through here and one of the actual prison guards that used to work here was kind of giving the tour telling us stuff he was telling us stuff about um, how there was prisoner suicide constantly here how there was more riots that then were mentioned and that there was times when you know, guards would abuse the inmates and inmates would kill the guards. Like, it, it was pretty often here, I guess. And he said that he was actually quite fearful that it would happen to him one day. So he told us a lot about that. So obviously a lot of death has happened here. We will be going here very soon for yes. an investigation. Yes, yes. So I'm very excited for that. And that'll be so awesome. And I can't wait for you guys to see that. And you could come with too when we do our 1k week giveaway uh we're that is first place prize is two tickets to come with us on an investigation to the Joliet prison so make sure you go to our facebook page and you follow our facebook page and pay attention for when that giveaway is happening and enter the giveaway so that way you can have a chance to join us at the Joliet prison number one is ashmore estates in ashmore illinois now this one I've never seen it at a number one on any list that I've looked at. And I'm so surprised because 
Ashmore Estates is such an active location. It's the history is just so awesome, and it's just so active. Let's let's just get into it. Let's just get into it. Let's just you're go getting, for you're it. You're getting hyped. Yeah, I know because I love this place. So Ashmore started out in the 1870s as the Coles County Poor Boys Farm, which was the building that was used as a farm to house those who couldn't afford to take care of themselves. This was used as a working farm. This was home to 250 inmates in the first nine years, and of those, 32 residents died there, who were then buried in the county cemetery on the north end of the property. Now, this cemetery, obviously, there there was a poor farm. They couldn't afford a whole lot, so it was a pauper cemetery. So, not a whole lot of gravestones for who was actually buried there. This cemetery had over 100 people buried there and they believe more died here than just the 32 in the first nine years. By 1902 conditions of the farm had deteriorated and the residents were giving no special care and by 1911 the building was condemned. By 1915 the state considered bids to replace the structure. Construction on the building began in May 1916 and in 1959 this building was purchased. During that time it just remained a poor boys farm for years and years and years and years. Eventually, in 1959, this property was purchased and was used to be operated as a private psychiatric hospital. During this time, they actually transferred some patients from Bartonville Insane Asylum over to Ashmore. Within the first five years of operation, it failed. <laughs> it pretty oh, much no. failed, like, right away. Patients were transferred all the way back to Bartonville. It was eventually shut down in 1986 because of debt. It was, it was pretty bad in there. Mm -hmm. Rats, roaches... Ew. The building was falling apart, like, completely. The good old stuff. When it shut down in the 1980s, it actually stayed abandoned for years until 2006 when Scott Kelly purchased the building to turn it into a haunted house. This was the time that Ghost Adventures actually went to Ashmore Estates. There was a meteorologist that had claimed that a demon picked him up and threw him on the floor from a chair. And I'll be honest with you, I don't fully believe that because when, when I finally went here, um, the owner told us that... There is no demons here. <laughs> so, in 2013, a tornado tore the attic roof and it just it destroyed the roof. Like, the roof was completely gone from the building. That was the same year that Robin Terry purchased the property and fixed it up. Robin is godsend. <laughs> yeah. I love Robin. Robin is so awesome. He's an awesome dude. In this building, they claim to hear footsteps, disembodied voices, shadows. There's a bell on the third floor you can hear ringing. And there's a claim that there was a little girl who passed away in a fire in the 1880s. Her name was El Elva Skinner, and her nightgown caught fire and she was burned to death where the original property was. So the wood building that we talked about in the beginning, yeah, apparently she, she caught on fire there. Mm -hmm. But that's just a rumor because, I mean, if she caught on fire in a wood building, the whole building's going to fucking go down too. I'm yeah. just saying, that's just a rumor. No, I mean, it's a possibility. I've never, I feel like I've never actually like conversated with her there's also a twins room so two twin girls that used to live there uh room for that there's a spirit in the basement as well in the um in the boiler room so those are two very very important things right there we caught an apparition on camera which we will post on our instagram but yeah i ashmore estates is at number one because of the level of activity there and the history is pretty awesome plus love rob and terry He's a fantastic guy. He's done some great stuff for the paranormal community. But yeah, that's the end of this episode. Thank you so much to our researcher, Brooke Phillips, for doing the research for us and compiling it down into one document. I really appreciate it. It saves me some time. 
And yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, please give us a like, a follow, or subscribe, whatever platform you're on. We'll see you on the next one. Peace.